Okay, turn with me this afternoon uh, to Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 10. This Torah portion is called Bo, and Bo in Hebrew means to go or come, depending on the context. So in this this instance, the context is go, so Bo means go uh, in Hebrew. And I guess if I had to title today's message, it would be No Crops Left. No Crops Left. I mean, we, we just got... This past summer was a horrible growing season. I mean, it did nothing but rain almost the entire time. I planted a garden, and the weeds just came up faster than I could pluck them. I mean, I plucked up one, I turned around, there's two more, and and I just and either that or it was blistering hot. You know, to go out there and you just walk to the garden and you're already drenched in sweat, so you know, kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, kind of thing. And a lot of people said, "Oh, I had a." You know, my crops didn't grow. It was overrun with weeds. I couldn't keep up with the weeds. And a lot of people didn't even didn't even harvest one carrot. It was so bad. So imagine if you had to depend on those crops, what that would be like. There would be no food. And especially back in the day, they just couldn't go to, you know, the Save Easy or the Superstore to get a can of beans or a can of carrots. I mean, they were dependent upon these crops. And there's a very distinct possibility that in this Torah portion, and I'm not dogmatic about it, I'm just trying to read between the lines of Scripture, I'm saying possibly that Israel had to deal with not having any crops during this whole plague situation. And I'll kind of explain why. So, uh, we discussed last week about the first couple plagues, and we revealed that it was very possible that Israel had to deal with the first couple plagues that came along up until the plague where the dust turned into lice or flies or whatever they were. And we explained and gave pretty good reasons why Israel had to endure the first couple plagues before the Lord said, oh, that's it. I'm making a distinction between my people and the Egyptians. Now you're going to really see some pretty spectacular stuff, guys. Hold on to your seat. So we kind of explain that. Um, because what he did is I'm going to separate my people because they live in Goshen. And there's going to be a distinction between my people and Egypt, Egypt proper. But at the same time, Goshen was still a part of Egypt. It's kind of like, you know, the Northwest Territories or the Yukon. That just seems like the final frontier. And we know it's a part of Canada, but it's kind of a place in and of itself. And we sometimes forget that it's a part of Canada because it's just so wild and wilderness-like. But it's kind of like Goshen. Goshen was the lush, wild land of Egypt. It was the front lines before you got to the borders of Egypt proper. So it was like that demilitarized zone that kind of was the buffer zone between, uh, you know, Egypt's enemies and, um, you know, the, the foreign entities that may have wanted to uh, come in. So the Israelites were on the first lines of defense from that direction for anybody coming wanting to conquer Egypt. But we know that Egypt still owned Goshen, and Goshen was kind of a part of Egypt because Pharaoh said, let them live in Goshen. We'll give them that land. And it was to separate uh, the children of Israel from the Egyptians so they wouldn't be influenced by the Egyptian pagan culture. So today we're going to deal with several more of the plagues because we're in that Torah portion where the plagues are starting to wrap up. And if you'll remember, these plagues was basically a showdown between Yahweh, the God of Israel, and the entire pantheon of Egyptian gods. Ra and Isis and, and you know, uh, 
Kimtep and all these others I even forget the names of, which were none other than just fallen, fallen angelic entities and or fallen demonic entities that were posing as gods. They had supernatural power. After all, the magicians could, you know, tit for tat match what Moses and Aaron were doing up until the point where dust turned into living living beings, living flies, living lice, living gnats, whatever they were. So in Exodus chapter 10, we're going to be starting with verse 1, and we're going to be dealing with the locust, with the locust. Then Adonai said to Moses, Bo, go to Pharaoh, because I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, so that I might show these my signs in their midst. So this hardening of the heart, God was permitting and allowing to happen. It's kind of like that uh, Burt Reynolds movie, The End, where Burt Reynolds, the character, wanted to kill himself. And that's what he wanted. He wanted to die. And then finally, he got out into the middle of the ocean where he was tired and he was getting ready to drown. And he started sinking and he realized, oh, this is it. I'm finally getting what I wanted. Wait a second. No, this isn't what I wanted. Okay, Lord, I changed my mind. Lord, you know, please, please help me to get back to shore. You know, so as he's swimming back, he's negotiating with God. And the closer he gets to shore, the negotiations get less and less and less until he's finally on the shore. He's like, oh, never mind, God, I made it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of like the guy, too, a story I heard about where, you know, he's, he's got the job interview of his lifetime. You know, and he's in the big city, and we know how parking is a bear in these cities. You know, so he's driving around and trying to find a parking space and a free meter and parking space in the parking garage. He's going, oh, Lord, I'm, I, I've, I'm really dependent upon this job and I'm really hoping to get hired. I need it. Lord, you know I need this. Father, please, please, Lord God, let a parking space open up. And right there, somebody pulls like, oh, never mind, God, I found one. <laughs> so that's kind of like a, a humorous way regarding to the hardening of the heart. You just totally miss what God is doing in plain sight. Okay, so verse 2, And so that you may tell your sons and your grandchildren what I have done in Egypt, as well as my signs that I did among them, so you may know that I am Adonai. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what Adonai, the God of the Hebrews, says. I mean, it's a mighty plagues and mighty signs and wonders have been performed because up until this point pharaoh is like i don't even know who this adonai is who in the heck is this yahweh he can't be much of a god if he's a god of slaves you know after all i've got a whole pantheon of gods i got a whole slew a whole hockey team of gods behind my back what you got one <laughs> one piddly god he don't even have a territory to rule but as God started defeating the Egyptian gods by each plague, slowly, you know, Pharaoh's like, okay, this is something to be reckoned with, but I'm still going to hold to my team. You know, I'm not going to switch. Even if the Bruins are having a, a, a bad losing streak, you're not going to give up on the Bruins, right? You know, even if they don't make it to the playoffs, or you're still going to hang with the Bruins. That was like Pharaoh. He wasn't going to switch sides or teams. So... He said, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what Adonai, the God of the Hebrews says, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may serve me or else, <laughs> or else, who do you think you are, God of the Hebrews? Oh, oh, you're threatening me? I don't do well with threats, Pharaoh might be saying, or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow, 
So there's a specific time. So a lot of times when miracles or signs happen, you know, or somebody prophesies a specific time, this is going to happen then. If it doesn't happen, then you're like, oh, okay, that wasn't real. So God says, tomorrow this is going to happen. Uh, so he says, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your borders. So far, Pharaoh's probably like, locust? So what? What's the big deal with that? You know, I mean, I could handle a few locusts because after all, you know, all these plagues that have come about, they've decimated our crops, the hail and all this kind of stuff. I and mean, we've still got a few things left, but these locusts, you know, they're not going to be a big deal because after all, we can catch them and eat them. I mean, locusts, they, they were kind of like a delicacy. The locusts, they could eat them. And, you know, a few locusts, that's one thing. You can squash them under your boot. But, you know, it's kind of like one ant you could deal with. But if you step on an anthill and like a hundred of them are crawling up your leg all at once and biting you, well, that's, that's another thing. It's, it's hard to deal with that, right? So it's one of these kind of deals here. Or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your borders. Your borders. So we're talking about the borders of Egypt. What were the borders of Egypt? Goshen was part of Egypt. So Goshen was a part of those borders. And so far, I haven't read anything where God said, I'm going to make a distinction between Egypt and Goshen, between my people and the Egyptians. Nothing's being said like that. So I'm saying there is a possibility that these locusts also invaded Goshen. Now, if so, why? Where's the good in that as our theme for this year? Because we're trying to find the good things in bad situations. A plague of locusts is not a good thing. It's a bad thing. So where's the good in it? And if so, if God is allowing Goshen to be overrun by locusts that's going to eat up all their crops, how's that fair and just by God to Israel? I mean, didn't they suffer enough under the hand of Pharaoh and the slavery and the, and the throwing the babies in the Nile and the, the whole nine yards? Let's keep reading. They will cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the ground. How many remember the invasion of the army worms? What year was that? 80-something. You literally could not step on the ground without stepping on an army worm. It didn't matter what kind of tires you had on your car. It was slick as snot, and you would slide down the road running over these army worms. So it says, then they will cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the ground. They will eat the remainder of what has escaped, whatever is left from the hail, and eat every tree that grows for you out of the field. Your houses will be filled and your houses of your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians. And neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen since the day uh, they were on the earth until today. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Pharaoh's servants said to him, how long will this man be a snare to us? Send the men so that they may serve Adonai their God. Don't you realize yet that Egypt is being destroyed? They're like, Pharaoh, with all due respect, why are you being a dummy? Why are you being a doughhead? Can't you see what's going on here? We're as good as dead. And if these locusts came, that's the nail in the coffin for us. So Moses and Aaron were brought to Pharaoh again. Go, serve Adonai your God, he said, but, but, but who's going to be going? So Moses answered, we will go with our young ones and our elderly, our sons and our daughters. We will go with our flocks and with our herds, for we must have Adonai's feast for him. But he said to them, so may Adonai be with you. If I ever 
do let you go with your little ones. He's like, okay, all the men can go, but not your little ones. Uh-uh, they're staying behind. He says, see clearly now, evil is in your face. Not so. Go now, the men, and serve Adonai, for that's what you were seeking. Then they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Interesting point about this keeping the children back. Whenever a new government regime comes in, let's say like communism, that doesn't believe in God, that wants to wipe out all religion, they usually leave the old folks alone. Okay, they're old, they're set in their ways, we're not going to change their mind, they're going to die in a decade or so anyway, let's let them go. But don't you dare bring your children to church. Don't you dare tell your children about Jesus. Why? Because the young children are impressionable. Why do you think they're teaching LBGTQ ideology in schools in kindergarten? Because they're young, they're impressionable, we, we indoctrinate them now, then you know they're going to be ours. They're moldable, we can tell them whatever we want, and they'll do it, and they'll not question it. It will normalize it for them. I mean, it goes... And so that's why Pharaoh wanted to keep the children behind. That might be a hint to that. Okay, verse 12. Then Adonai said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come up unto Egypt and eat every plant in the land, everything the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and Adonai brought an east wind. That's never good. When you hear east wind, you know... Uh, that's usually the one that comes to scorch and do all these bad things, and all the bad stuff comes from the east wind, it seems. Brought an east wind over the land all that day and night, and in the morning, so God said tomorrow, in the morning, that's tomorrow, prophecy fulfilled, the east wind brought the locust. The locust came over all the land of Egypt and rested on the entire territory of Egypt. So dense, there was nothing like it before them, nor will there ever be again. For they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. So that kind of tells you what kind of locust it was. There's different species of locusts, and one of them is darker colored. So that the land is darkened, and they ate every plant in the land and all the fruit from the trees that the hail had left. No green thing remained, not a tree or a plant or the field throughout all the land of Egypt. So... It kind of seems, I mean, it could go either way. You can kind of read the scripture either way. It does kind of seem on face value that it was just only Egypt proper. But again, no distinction was made. So I'm saying that, I mean, again, I'm not dogmatic on it. I'm not going to hang my hat on it. But I'm saying there might be a possibility that there were locusts in Goshen because there was no distinction made between the Egyptians and the children of Israel, between Egypt and the land of Goshen. It just says all your borders, all your territory of Egypt where Goshen was included. So let's just say if, if locust invaded, um, you know, Goshen as well. Why would God allow this? Why would God do this? Because if this happened, it seemed bad because the children of Israel needed those crops to eat. Their animals were spared. Why didn't he spare the crops, right? So here's some reasons that I was thinking of if indeed the locusts did invade Goshen as well. Locust was to ensure Goshen would be useless and thus no reason to consider staying. Thus, all Israel would be willing to leave Egypt in the Exodus. 
So if they saw that they had no crops because like, oh, well, this is our home. We were born here. We grew up here. Why do we want to go out in the desert? We don't know what's out there. We don't know if we're going to be able to survive out there. At least we have our crops here. You know, and as long as the Egyptians are taken care of and they leave us alone, why can't we just stay here and make this our promised land? You know, because every time they got in a pickle out in the wilderness, what do they say? Oh, if we would only have stayed in Egypt where we had the, the melons and the leeks and the onions and we ate fish. I mean, you were slaves. They didn't give you a day off. They made you get your own straw. Like, come on. It wasn't that great. So maybe the locust was to ensure Goshen would be useless. And they're like, well, there's nothing to eat here. We might as well take our chances in the wilderness. Number two, locusts were a clean insect and could be eaten so Israel wouldn't starve during the plague. They could have, if, they, if indeed the locusts did invade um, you know, Goshen and ate their crops, at least they could feed off the locusts because they were a kosher insect that the children of Israel were permitted to eat. Number three, it reminded Israel not to get too comfortable, that if they hardened their hearts like Pharaoh, they too could be punished by the plagues. And number four, finally, it showed that God was in control and can distinguish between people whenever he wishes and deems it necessary. So let's continue on and let's jump to chapter 11, where the final plague, which is death of the firstborn. So starting with verse one. Now Adonai had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and on all Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely thrust you out altogether from here. He won't just let them go like, okay, yes, you're permitted to leave. No, he would kick them out. He would force them out, thrust them out forcefully as fast as they can because guess what? They thought if our firstborn's dead, we're all going to die if we don't get these people out of here. I will bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely thrust you out altogether from here. Speak now into the ears of the people and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor for articles of silver and gold. Yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Take whatever you want. Just get out of here. What are you hanging around here for? The longer you stay, the, the next, the second board's going to die. Who knows? Adonai gave the people favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. Indeed, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt. I mean, didn't God say that he was going to make Moses like God to Pharaoh and Aaron was going to be like Moses' prophet? Now, why would God word it that way? Because we know there's only one God. Well, Pharaoh believed he was a god himself. Pharaoh believed he descended from the gods. So you have to have a god to have clout with another god. So it come to the point where it's like, okay, Moses proved he's a greater magician than our magicians. He, pr he proved that he's a, you know, a greater, greater in all things up to this point. So he had a high respect. And the Lord did say, I'm going to make you like God to Pharaoh. And Aaron is going to be like your spokesman, like your prophet. So right here. It says, Adonai gave the people favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. Indeed, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt and in the eyes of Pharaoh's servants and in the eyes of the people. So Moses said, this is what Adonai says. At around midnight, I will go out into the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt will die from the firstborn of Pharaoh. Now, see, here's another point 
that kind of leads to the fact that Israel possibly dealt with the locust. Because he said every firstborn. What if the children of Israel living in Goshen did not do what God required? Would their firstborn die? Yes, absolutely, even though they weren't in Egypt proper. But Goshen was still a part of Egypt. So, at around midnight, I, not the angel of death, God said, I myself, I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn of the land of Egypt will die. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, cut for cut, burn for burn, bruise for bruise. You think that God was maybe paying Pharaoh back for what he did to the firstborn of the children of Israel, throwing all the babies into the Nile? Mm -hmm. Possibly. At around midnight, I will go into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn of the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh sitting on the throne, to the firstborn of the maidservant behind the mill, along with all the firstborn cattle. There will be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, like the likes of which has never been before, nor ever will be again. But not so much as a dog will growl against any of B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, neither man nor beast, so that you may know that Adonai makes a distinction between the Egyptians and Israel. Now we're talking about people groups, not land masses. So at this point, Israel didn't have land. They were a people. They lived in Goshen, so they lived in Egypt. But Egyptians are a people group. I'll make a distinction between Egyptians and Israel. All these servants of yours will come down to me, bow down to me and say, get out, you and all your people who follow you. After that, I will go. Then he went out from Pharaoh, hot with anger. And Adonai said to Moses, or yeah, Adonai had said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all the wonders before Pharaoh, yet Adonai hardened Pharaoh's heart, so he did not let B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, out of his hand. So, death of the firstborn. I had somebody come to me one time and say, well, that just seems very unfair. Death of the firstborn. We're talking about innocent babies here. Where's the good in that? How's that just unfair? Number one, not all firstborn are infants. You got to remember that. Not all firstborn were just little cute, cuddly little babies. And so what if they were? If they were babies, firstborn babies, and they died, what's so bad about that? They didn't have to grow up in a wicked pagan Egypt. They were, it was before the age of accountability. They'd go straight to heaven. So who cares if, if the little baby firstborn died? That, that wasn't bad. They'd be, they'd be in the presence of God. Not all firstborn were infants. Thus, not all were innocent. And a lot of the firstborn were past the age of accountability, meaning they knew better. They knew right from wrong. God gave them every chance to repent during the plagues. And some of them did because we see that during hail, they listened to Moses and believed Adonai and took their servants and cattle in so that they wouldn't die out in the field. And like I said, even if they were infants, they'd instantly go to heaven because they were because they were innocent and they were not at the age of accountability. And number three, this shows God's power of specificity and that he keeps his word. So everything human and animal that died were firstborn. 
and everybody knew that. So they knew that this just wasn't some kind of like uh, pandemic or some kind of, you know, uh, plague or virus or whatever that just kind of hit people willy-nilly. It specifically targeted firstborn. So they knew that this was something that was divine, something that, that you know, happened. Uh, so that's where we find the good and bad situations. Now, prophetically speaking, in the prophets, it's ta it talks about the a last great exodus. And this last great exodus will be greater than this first exodus. And this last great exodus will be at such a magnitude that people will pretty much almost forget about the first exodus. And that still has yet to be fulfilled. That hasn't happened yet. I don't really know on the eschatological, you know, eschatological maps and charts when it's going to fall or when it's going to happen. But there's going to come a point in time where Judah and all the lost tribes that will come out of the woodwork and be found, that they will make their way. There'll be a great exodus back to the land, to the land of promise, to the land of Israel. Like I said, I'm not sure where that's going to fall and all the end time stuff, but we know that that hasn't ha happened yet. So that's something that we can keep our eye on, something that we can look forward to. But can you imagine a last great exodus, especially of modern day? I mean, ha how like billions, maybe billions of people is going to be flooding into the promised land and not only take over what Israel is now today, but go beyond to what they rightfully own according to the scripture. That's going to be pretty awesome. I, I just can't wait to see that. I'm not sure how that's going to look like, but that's going to be pretty awesome. There is... Um, there is a guy named Eddie Chumney, and he actually has an entire series on the Greater Exodus. There's also a guy named, um, oh, what's his name? Um, I want to say Eddie Bauer, but it's not the clothing guy. What? Um, oh, he's got a he's got a, a YouTube channel called New to Torah. Um, Zach Bauer, Zach Bauer. He has another series called the Greater Exodus. So if you want to kind of get into those, you can look those people up and look those those things up. All right, so we will go ahead and close out with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that even when you allow, quote-unquote, bad things to happen to us, that there is a good reason for it. And it's a reason uh, because you love us. It's a reason because ultimately we're going to have, you know, the bigger end of the stick, so to speak. We're going to be the ones that come out on top. We may have to lose a little ground in the beginning, and it may seem like we're losing. It may seem like you're punishing us. It may seem like you've abandoned us or left us. But it's all in your plan, like at a great movie climax, at the worst possible moment, when all hope seems to be lost, and then da 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 the hero comes swooping in or riding in to save the day. That's the way you're going to be, Lord. And it's going to be wonderful and magnificent to see. You said that those who endure to the end shall be saved. In other words, not given up, believing till the very bitter end. Even when it looks like all hope is lost, believing when there's no reason to believe. Because you are a God who, who loves us and keeps your promises, and you're going to come through for us. Don't know how, but it's going to be awesome to see. And that's why it's going to be so great, because it's going to look as if there is absolutely no way, no hope, no way. And then, boom, a miracle happens. Just like that prophecy in Scripture where, you know, there was such a famine. And it says, oh, by the end of the day, you know, people are going to be selling stuff cheap, but you're not going to see it because, you know, the Lord's going to, uh, you know, you're going to get trampled. You're going to die. 
He's like, oh, that couldn't even happen even if the windows of heaven open itself. But that prophecy came to pass, and that guy did get trampled. He didn't see any of it or, or partook of any of it. So, Lord, you, can, you are the God of the impossible. You make the impossible possible. That's why you're our God. That's, your, that's why you are the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And we praise you and thank you for your wonderful, awesome greatness and power. And Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. <laughs>